So it was September 11th, 1918. Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs were playing in the World Series. And right before the game was supposed to start, the players went on strike. I mean, we're familiar with this in, in our day because we always see players strike. But in 1918, this wasn't really a thing. There's an outfielder for the Red Sox that complained because the players got very little money to play in the World Series. So he had kind of got all the players together from both teams, and they decided they were going to take the field until the ownership and Major League Baseball gave them more money. So the crowd's on the stands. There's no players rushing out on the field. Everybody's in chaos. Some time has gone by. They're getting kind of rowdy. Well, the owner of the Red Sox decides he's going to do something revolutionary. And so he strikes up the band. He says, hey, band, here's what I want you to do. I want you to play the national anthem. The band's looking at each other like, really? This isn't the place or the time. This is baseball. And he says, do it. I mean, go ahead. So the band, they, they give their strings up, and they start off playing the national anthem. All the players begin to stand in their dugouts. The, the crowd stands. They take their hats off. And they sing together the national anthem to start the game. At the end of that, as the players are singing the national anthem, this outfitter from the Red Sox says, we have to play this game if nothing more than for those fans that are in the stands that have given their lives for this country. So once the national anthem ended, he yells from the dugout, play ball. And they all run out on the field. 1918. They didn't know it at the time. In the midst of the chaos, they didn't get that history was taking place because now in pro sports and amateur sports alike, we start every game with the national anthem. I mean, we wouldn't even think about it now. It's just what we do. But in 1918, there was no such thing. They, they would have music playing, the players would run out, they'd play ball, and they'd finish. But see, September 11th, 1918, changed everything. We've been in this series together talking about the life of a man named Peter. He was an ordinary man. He was a fisherman by trade. So by trade, he lived in probably one of the lowest income jobs in his society. He was older. Uh, we get from Scripture he's married um, we get that because Jesus goes to his house where his mother-in-law is ill. So we get a married guy who's a little bit more seasoned with a bunch of other fishermen. We get also from Scripture that perhaps he may not have been the greatest one either. He spent all night fishing, but we get that maybe Scripture tells us that God ordained that the fish would stay away so that Jesus could intersect Peter's life. And he calls him to follow after him and what we call him a disciple or an apostle of Jesus. At the time, Peter didn't get that. It's not like Peter instinctively went, hey, listen, I'm about to change my life forever. He just knows there's a guy in the boat that does things he's never seen before. And this Peter's life's about to be changed forever. We talked not only last week that Peter had some inner turmoil, right? Like he's learning from Jesus. He's learning to follow him. He's a risk taker. He was willing to get out of the boat. 
And so we get a little bit of his character base that not only is Peter a risk taker, not only is he a fisherman, but today we're going to deal with something that I think we all struggle with. And maybe how we can identify with Peter today, he doubted sometimes. He's a doubter. Now, I want to confront this with two things before we begin. Having doubts is different than having a disbelief. Having a doubt is a question of going, is there something about me that needs to change so that God can use me in a different way? A doubt is not, God, I don't believe you can. A doubt is, God, I'm asking you to help me understand this. So when you have a doubt, it's okay. God is not bothered by your doubt. I do believe, however, God is bothered by our disbelief. I believe when we don't give God enough of who he is, we're, we're in dangerous territory. And so we're going to intersect in the middle of Jesus' ministry as he's surrounded by a group of people. So why don't you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. Luke 8 and verse 40. You know, as Jesus' ministry is going on, things are starting to happen at a rapid pace around him. Things that probably weren't normal for normal day Sobe or maybe fake messiahs. And I want you to know something. In Jesus' day, there is a lot of fake messiahs. Let's not mistake that when Jesus shows up, he is one of many guys claiming to be the savior of the world when it comes to Israel. And so when Jesus shows up and they start to notice that there's some things that are kind of different about this guy. There's a reason for that. Crowds followed a lot of, you know, no-name messiahs of the day. But Jesus is different. Jesus talks different. Jesus acts different. Jesus isn't trying to gain fame. If anything, we get the more that Jesus does his ministry, the more he tells people, just go and don't tell a bunch of people. And it's not so that they won't celebrate who Jesus is. It's because he didn't want to be a rock star. Jesus came to serve. That's what he says in Scripture. So he didn't come to be celebrated or anything else. So in this moment, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 40, it says this. When Jesus returned, the crowds welcomed him, for they are all expecting him. So he's just surrounded by crowds. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was the leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house um, because he had an only daughter who was about 12 years old. And she was at death's door. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. I want you to capture this in your mind. That moment, I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd like that where you feel like you're being pushed around and people are crowding in on you. Um, I'm not a claustrophobic kind of guy, but there's moments when I'm surrounded by a crowd that tight, and maybe you are too, that that kind of claustrophobia wells up in you where you can't move the way you want to. They've invaded your hula hoop. And that's this moment. They're crushing in on Jesus. So that means at this point, as he's walking to go to Jairus' house to help his daughter, he is being crushed in by people. You imagine it? They all want a piece of Jesus at this point. They were expecting him, so the crowd's waiting. And Jesus goes right through the crowd. They're crushing in on him. So everybody's, you know, probably saying, Jesus, hey, what's up, man? Did you, I just touched Jesus. That's cool. And so they're all smashing in on him. Verse 43, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors yet could not be healed by any, approached him behind and touched the tassel of his robe. 
Instantly, her bleeding stopped. I want to stop here by just saying there is a desperation of a person who when they get to the point where they're willing to go to the furthest extent to see what God can do, will move through a crushing crowd to touch Jesus. And that's this woman. We don't know what her proximity was to Jesus amongst the crowd. We just know that this woman made her way to Jesus. So she was willing to push through. And so, I mean, she's, you can imagine, elbowing people, pushing people out of the way, and she just kind of gets to just barely touch him. We get another scripture that she believes deeply, and we'll find it here as well. Verse 45, Jesus said, who touched me? Here comes our man Peter. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. What Peter's saying is, everybody's touching you. Like, I mean, come on, Lord. I mean, we're all here. Like, who didn't just touch you just then? Like, this is crazy. This is a madhouse. Let's get out of here. Here's a man who spent his time on a boat away from people. I mean, he, he would spend his days, you know, away in the water. And now he's being like completely, I, I just, I have this mental image of who Peter is according to Scripture that makes me think that as Peter's walking through the crowd, he's not acting like Jesus. He's not just being gracious. He's, he's going, back away. I'm a fisherman, I will cut you. <laughs> right? I, don't y'all see, don't y'all feel that with Peter's character? And so as he's pushing his way through the crowd, he sees Jesus go, whoa, he just touched me. And Peter's like, he's lost it. That was it. He finally broke. I knew he would, y'all. I mean, this has been a long time coming, but that was it. And Peter does what, what a natural person would do. He goes, um, uh, Jesus, uh, everybody. These people that denied it are liars because they all touched you. Right? You're a liar. You're a liar. <laughs> you know you're a liar. You know? And then all of a sudden, something happens different. Verse 46. Someone did touch me, Jesus said. I know that power has gone out from me. Which means that Jesus has something special going on. That means this, that people could touch Jesus and nothing would happen. Like, nothing could occur. But... When someone came with belief, Jesus could give away healing without even batting an eye. And so in this moment, she touches him and Jesus goes, whew, I felt that. Who touched me? Who was that? Who got that? And people are like, mm, 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 mm. not me. And there's that woman standing there going, I'm healed. I can't believe this. I spent everything I've got to see people heal me. And I touched that one man and I'm healed. And finally, Jesus is just like, hey, I know what happened. Look at what it says in verse 47. When the woman saw that she uh, was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him in the presence of all of the people. She declared the reason she had touched him and was now instantly cured. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This moment is just massive. It is a life-altering moment for this woman, but it's also a life-altering moment for everyone else around because fake messiahs wouldn't just heal people without making a show of it. 
I mean, clearly Jesus should have stopped, right, and gone, wait, part thy crowd. Woman, thou art healed. Worship me. That's not what happens. I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that happens in Jesus' life that he doesn't know already? If he is all God and he is all-knowing, omniscient, did he know that woman was going to come in the crowd that day? Yeah. He knows everything's going to be about to happen. He knows the cross is coming still. He knows that in this moment, this woman's going to come, and it wasn't about him being known. It was about that woman making sure that she let the world know faith did something just then. She was faithful enough to work her way through the crowd just to reach out. And I can just see it. The crowd's pushing in saying, back away, woman. Because let's just get the proper kind of view of what it looks like in this time, in this place, in this region. Women weren't something in this region, right? I mean, Bible scholars, they had a lesser role. They were kind of pushed to the sides. You weren't allowed into the temple closer in. You had to stay in an outer court. So in this moment, as a woman's trying to make her way to Jesus, there's probably mostly just men around him. And so she reaches through them. I can just almost see her reach out that last desperation. And she just gets his garment like that. And Jesus goes, hold up a second. Something just happened. And Peter didn't even see it. He didn't even get it. He didn't get that this moment was happening. He's just, he's just lost in the moment. I want you to catch this this morning. In the midst of a mission... Small greatness can happen. In the midst of a mission, small greatness can happen. Here's what that means. We believe at our church we're on a mission. And we believe a part of that is that you're here today because we believe that you should be connected to a life of fellowship with God, not just okay church membership. Church membership is small in comparison to a greatness of following God with your life. So we believe that's where we're heading, and we're trying to connect people that way. We have a way to get you there, and I hope you'll come by and talk to one of us pastors and just say, that's the path I'm on. Come, would you show me what the next step is? We would love to connect you. But I want to tell you something. In that process, we need to keep our eyes open because God just keeps showing up. I've been here seven years, a little over seven, almost on eight now. Are we at eight? We're at eight. Praise God. Um, so in the eight years, we have never started a VBS with over 100 kids registered, ever. It's never happened. They always kind of roll in. And so as the days went on, I, Scott and I were talking, and, and Sarah and I were talking, and she's like, hey, we have 80 kids signed up. And I was like, that's awesome. Well, the first day starts, she goes, well, we have over 100 registered now. And I was like, whew, that's different. I believe God just keeps showing up in new and amazing ways. Every day God shows up. Even in the midst of the worst possible moments, God just keeps showing up. Because I believe there's a few of you out there that just keep reaching out for the hem of Jesus' robe. Even through crowds, you reach out and say, God, heal this. God, touch this. God, make this right. And I believe Jesus keeps doing it time and time and time again. Because in the midst of a mission, small things can happen. But here's the other thing. Peter missed the moment in the movement. With all of what was happening, Peter missed that moment because all of the movement was taking place. And we can do that. 
in the midst of our lives, we can miss out on Jesus moments because we're so lost in other stuff, in our endeavors, in our, our zeal, in our quest for happiness. We can miss Jesus moments. And I believe that Jesus is constantly passing through your crowd. And he is constantly being available to you so that you can reach out and touch him all the time. And you can miss the moment in the midst of the movement. I want to capture your attention to something. Some of you have been praying a prayer with me that God would continue to grow Quell Creek. And I believe God's doing that. I believe God just keeps doing that time and time again. He keeps leading people here. And if you're brand new, you're welcome here. We've been praying for you. Because we believe that God's going to continue to lead people to Quell Creek to help us grow and stay on mission and point people to Jesus. And that's exciting. That's, that's new. That's fresh. And, and you're a part of that freshness. But i got to tell you, in the midst of that growth, in the midst of everything, are we missing moments to worship a Savior who died and rose and lives for us today? Are we missing moments to celebrate him? Are we missing moments to clap our hands and to celebrate and to... Okay, I'm going to say a word, and if, if you're like my granddad, I need you to just do this and dance. There's moments to dance. There's moments to leave behind the inhibition of the world and to dance for God. It's time to pick up a tambourine. It's time to dance through the city. It's time to declare God is the victor once again. Let's not miss Jesus in the midst of this movement. But here's a key to that. We should always look for where God is moving. We should always look for where he's moving because we're a part of his movement. You're a symphony before God. Your voice, your life brings joy to God when you follow after his precepts and you live your life in accordance to him. You are his greatest creation. You are his handiwork. You are his image. And because of that, you bear a greater burden than the birds of the air do. You bear a greater burden than the fish of the sea. You bear a greater burden than your dogs or your cats. You bear a greater burden than the trees and the forest. You bear a greater burden than the mountains or the valleys. You bear a greater burden because only you were created in God's image. And because of that, we have to keep our eyes open to where he's going and how he can use us so that we're constantly useful for his kingdom. And so in this moment where the crowd is crushing in and Peter's elbowing his way because he's the fighter, and we'll catch more of that coming up, he's elbowing his way to make sure Jesus is okay. And in the midst of that, Jesus stops. And you can imagine Peter's heartbeat speeding up. What's going on? And Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter goes, everyone. Jesus, listen, everybody here is touching you, man. He goes, no, no, no. Someone touched me and they were healed. Who was it? And Jesus is looking around. And in the midst of the chaos, people are still hemming in. They're still moving in on him. They're still pushing to get to hear what Jesus is going to say. There's maybe some there that want healing. They want a teaching. There's the enemies that want to hear Jesus strip up. And in the midst of all of the crowd, a woman steps up and goes, I got to lay at your feet, Lord. It was me. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I spent all my money. 
I've got nothing. And I just thought that if I could just touch the hem of your garment, you could heal me. And Jesus, in the midst of all of the chaos, looks down at her and he says, Woman, your faith has healed you. Go live a life. She gets up and she walks away. And that's the end of her story in Scripture. My buddy Micah Tyler has a a song, The Story I Tell, where he says this is one of the people in Scripture, we don't get their name. We know their story, but we don't get their name. We don't get the rest of their life, what happened to them past this moment. All we get is this moment of clarity that everyone that's around him goes, Faith, I just want a conquering king. I don't need somebody that heals me. I just want a God that gives me stuff. You've fed a lot of people before, right, Jesus? I'm hungry. I mean, Jesus, clearly you like the temple more than you liked the tent out in the, the desert, right? I mean, clearly, Jesus, Moses is superior to everybody else, right? What about Abraham, God? Don't you think Abraham's the greatest ever? Hey, Jesus, don't you think the way that we worship in the temple is right and the way that they worship is wrong? And Jesus is like, y'all bringing all the wrong questions to the table. The question is, am I the way, the truth, and the life? And if you follow after me, is it enough? Is that enough? It's a question Peter has to answer. Our doubter, the guy that didn't get it, the guy that in the midst of all the pushing around didn't capture the moment of healing, he kind of thought that Jesus might have not been on his game at that point. Gives him a weird question. Everybody's touching you, Lord. How can you think that one person matters more? But after all of that chaos in Matthew 16, verse 13, is this moment of the doubter taking his place. You see, because in Matthew 16, 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do they say the Son of Man is? And it says they just all kind of start talking, one after the other. Some say John the Baptist, another guy, what about Elijah? Still others, Jeremiah, and they start naming other prophets. Then Jesus says, but you. He asks them, but you, who do you say that I am? And it says that Peter shows up. Peter answers, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, for on this rock I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And listen to what it says next. And he gave the disciples orders to tell no one he was the Messiah. You know, this moment as all the disciples are rattling off names because they still don't get it. Peter's in the midst of the crowd going, this is it, isn't it? This is a dividing line for me. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm just an ordinary fisherman that doesn't get it? What if I'm just an ordinary man that's a doubter? What if I'm just an ordinary man that just doesn't get it? God, help me to understand what to do next. So as all the disciples are talking, Peter gets this clarity 
moment. And he says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. I, just, I want you to imagine all these other guys that probably had better jobs, that were more qualified, that were more learned than Peter. They, they had gone to school longer. They had better trades. And they're all standing around, and they're all being intellectuals. What about Elijah, Jesus? What about one of the prophets, Jesus? What if you're John the Baptist now anointed in the Son of God? And Peter's like, he's the Messiah. That's who he is. Don't y'all get it? He's the Son of the living God. And I just kind of imagine in that moment, all the disciples that are, you know, being intellectuals, firing away these names, look at Peter like. And Jesus goes, man, you're blessed because you finally got it. God's spoken over each of you, but you're the only one that's listened. And because of that, Peter, I can use you. I can use you to do things that these guys won't be able to be used for. You're going to have to bear a lot, Peter. But just like Peter, we must accept Jesus as Messiah as well. Just like Peter, we must accept Jesus as Messiah. You know why? Because at some point in your life, you want to be used by God. I believe that. I believe inside this room are people who I can see face to face right now that you would intentionally say, I want to be used by God. I just don't know how. I don't know what. I don't know why. I don't know when. I don't have any of those answers. I just know that I want to be used by God in some way that's powerful, in some way that's moving, in some way that changes the world. I want to be used by Him. It starts with Him. We start with Jesus. And Jesus will give you a plan. Jesus will give you an output. Jesus will give you a way. Jesus will give you a guide. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But it's more than just heaven's decision. It's more than just a, I'm, I'm hoping for a future date. It's a now thing. God wants to use you now. He wants to give you strength and power and wisdom and might. He wants to give you the fruits of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, he wants to give you all these things, but until you give him your life, these things can't happen. And so you'll go after whatever the world can give you. And you'll grab it and try and hold on to it, and it'll fall through your fingertips time and time again because the world can't give you any hands-on hold in the midst of a storm. It'll always fall apart. We were with our students at our first church in Galveston. We took them there just to hang out on the beach for a day. And we took our, our chairs, our lawn chairs with us. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you set a lawn chair on the beach just away from the waves. And you sit there for a second. You know what happens when you do that? It does what? It sinks. You could be so far away from the water and you think, how is that possible? But that water's going through every bit of that sand, isn't it? And over time, something you think is so certain falls over on you. You'll sit there in the sand and all of a sudden you start to go, this is terrible. And you try and pick it up and then it's stuck. I just want to tell you that's what life does when you put your hope in the world. When you put your hope and your faith in the things this world has to offer, it may seem certain for a moment, but there's no foundation in it. And what's more is as your life tips over, it'll be harder to come out. You must place your life in Jesus. Peter got this. As the center of our story, 
At the very moment that we kind of pick up with Peter's life, his moments are going, Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Are you you sure you got this? Now we have this engageable moment where we need to follow Peter's steps completely and say, I want Jesus to be my Messiah. I want him to lead my life. Today is your day. Here in a moment, here's what I'm going to ask. Drastic different move. I'm going to ask our deacons as we pray. They're going to come line the front today. I want to give you multiple sources to come to and pray. And I hope today that you'll come and ask one of them to pray for you. It doesn't have to be necessarily for salvation, but I hope it is. I hope that if you don't know Jesus, that you'd come and ask them, how do I get to know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Maybe today you'd come and say, I just need prayer because there's something going on in my life that I need prayer for. And you'd come to one of our deacons and ask them for that. They want to pray for you. And so are you ready? Are you ready, people in our church that want to make Jesus Messiah today? Are you ready, those of you that may have questions today? All of us have a place at the altar. All of us has a place at the feet of Jesus. All of us needs one hand out, ready to just touch the hem of a garment so that we would be healed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just ask God that you would speak over our church, God. God, I ask that you would lead mightily the hearts of people. God, your Holy Spirit is enough. It's efficient. It's great. It's powerful. So God, we ask that you would move in this place, God, that you would speak over our people, and God, that you would lead them. Lord, you are the Messiah. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And Lord, Scripture tells us that no one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through you. So, Father, we pray that, God, you would lead us and guide us, God, that you would speak over us, Lord. Move us to be people of movement today. Lord, in the midst of the movement, let us not miss the moment that you have for us today. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Y'all stand. You deacons come. And y'all come and find a deacon. And let's pray this morning.
morning as as Grant continues to play. What would you say today that if you left that at the feet of Jesus, you could walk out victorious today? Man, if, if I could put this at the feet of Jesus and know that Jesus had that, I could leave these doors today and feel like I could celebrate. If I could just drop that at the feet of Jesus and him say, I got this, I could leave today celebrating. I could leave today joyful. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to be bold today. I'm going to ask that you step out on faith today. That if you have whatever that is, that you would come and you don't even have to talk to a deacon. Just go right between him and kneel at the altar. Maybe it's your family needs to come. Maybe it's just you needs to come. But I just want to give you an extended time. I don't often do this, but I'm asking you today. You come, be bold. Put whatever that is at the feet of Jesus so you can leave out these doors today saying, I put that at the feet of Jesus. He's got it. You ready? As we sing one more time, I'm asking you to come. Are you ready? Let's sing. You come right now. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to Bring me to my knees. 
Father God, Lord, for those that couldn't walk an aisle today that would say, I would, but I just can't walk an aisle, God. There is nothing magical about walking an aisle. There is nothing super spiritual. God, it's just a walk, God. So I pray right in the pews, God, where people have held something and said, if I could put that at the feet of Jesus and walk away in victory, I would, but I'm struggling with it. God, I pray that you'd pry their hands off of it, God. God, that they'd experience the fullness of what it looks like when we submit to you every part of us, God. Not just the good things, not just the okay things, but even the hard things, God. We declare that they are all yours. God, we want you to move in our life. We want you to move deeply, God. We want you to use us. So, God, we we come open-handed. We come laying everything at your feet. We just declare you are enough, you are sufficient, and, God, you are going to be praised. And so, God, we give you praise for the things that are yet to come. Lord, we believe you already have victory declared over each of these things. And so, Father, we give you praise today. You're a great God. Thank you for where you're going to step in. God, we give you praise for it today. Lord, we pray this in the holy and precious name of a Savior who died for us, the name of Jesus. And in his name we pray. We say amen.